Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you turn in that Bible to John 14. And what we're doing here as we're counting the days to Pentecost, that great day when the Holy Spirit came on the church, uh, and basically it was our birthday, the birthday of the church. And uh, at that point, they were filled with an extraordinary passion to go out and be the people of God. And what we believe about that is it was so necessary because prior to that, they're behind closed doors, racked in fear. Prior to that, they denied him. Prior to that, they betrayed him. Prior to that, they've been very disappointing, even after spending three years with Jesus. So apparently, and here's the radical thing, some of you won't like it, but it's nonetheless true, Jesus wasn't enough. Not even Jesus said he was enough. He says, hey, go wait, because I'm sending another, like myself, the comforter, the advocate. Actually, it's actually in our passage today, the helper. And at that point, you will have the spirit of Jesus, and that will be enough to be all you need to be in Christ Jesus. Then, vamos, get out of here and go, 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 make disciples of the nations. And they do it. And at that point, Father, Son, and Spirit have been made clear to them, and they change the world. So I just want to know more about that Spirit. And I tell you what, if I'm going to learn about that Spirit, one of the great teachers in all human history was a guy named Jesus. And so he teaches us about that. And where he does that at in this passage, John 14, is the Lord's Supper. So we've, we've had the, the feet washing up in the upper room. We've had the Lord's Supper, Jesus predicting his betrayal. And then, of course, as Satan enters into Judas, he gets up, he, he leaves, and then he comforts his disciples by saying, the Spirit is coming, and you're going to want that Spirit. Where we're going to pick up on this today is in chapter 14, verse 21. But I want to remind you where we were last week. What we're doing is, across these verses, we're painting, Jesus is painting Four, and then four more. So that's eight. I'm I'm good at math. Uh, He's painting pictures, portraits of what this Holy Spirit looks like. And he's saying, I want you to remember these pictures because they're going to be exceedingly helpful in days to come. Last week, we talked about the Spirit as helper, the Spirit as truth, the Spirit as teacher and revealer, and and the Spirit as family. Now we're going to go and turn the corner and cover four more today. And so we're in John chapter 14, verse 21 and following. Would you please stand in reverence to the word of God? Jesus says, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas not the Iscariot one, the other one, Judas, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you were going to reveal yourself to us, but not to the world? Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me and will follow my word, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you 
while remaining with you. But the helper, the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor, number of ways to translate that word. Mine says helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor fearful. Whew, Jesus, whatever this means, we want it. We don't even understand it all when we want it. So Lord, lay this on us today. Lay this on us today. We want to hear from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, I've reached the uncomfortable place in my life where I can't quite see it without my glasses, can't quite see it with it. I'm right there. It means new glasses are necessary, I think. But anyway, I, I'm right there. So uh, bear with me as I try to... So I don't know if you love the Psalms as much as I do. Boy, do I love the Psalms. Uh, and I think I've, I've suggested to you, I go through 15 of them a day. This morning when I woke up, went to my easy chair, and I sat down and I opened up the Psalter. And because today is a four day, and a four day is a... Today is the 14th. I went to Psalm 4, then 14, then 24, 34, 44, 54. And I, I prayed through all the four Psalms. I just love the Psalter. And when I get to Psalm 119, I spend a little time every day because those have 22 paragraphs. So I've, I've numbered the 22 paragraphs. And so I go to the four paragraphs, 4 and 14 today. So I love, I'm, I'm in Psalm 119 every day is what I'm suggesting to you. One of my favorite lines out of chapter 119, Psalm 119, says this. It's Psalm 119, 100. I have more understanding, says the one that's writing this psalm, I have more understanding than my elders because I obey your precepts. Now, adjusted for John 14, it could read like this, I have more love than the elders, for I obey your teaching. I believe it's true. Hey, y'all, we can say all day long we love Jesus. And that's probably important. Let it leave your lips. Let people know about it. But at the end of the day, you've got to obey him. Because if you say you love him and you don't obey him, you don't love him. I mean, imagine, Jesus kind of says, imagine a couple sons, and one son says, "Woo, I'm going to go do what you want me to do, Lord, because I love you, Father, I love you, but he doesn't go and do. And then imagine one kid, this is, you know, I can imagine saying this to my mom and dad all day long, I'm not going to do it, but then I go do it. Which one, which one did the will of the Lord? Which one will love open up to? And I think... It suggests that the one who obeys is all important. Now I want you to, real quick, look at that, because I want to, I want to cover it just one more time with you. Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, will follow my word, and my Father will love him. And we, who we, we will come to him. And we will make our dwelling with him. It's almost as if, the Lord says, and by the way, this is in answer to the question in 22. Lord, what has happened that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? 
And I think what he's saying is it's not so much I won't reveal myself to the world, but the world's never going to get me until they obey me. And that opens up a space for me to come into their life. But until they obey, I can't do much with them. I can't even reveal myself to them very clearly. Now, this is what we believe about Scripture. God gives each one of us grace. Every one of your friends that don't know the Lord, right now we believe in something called prevenient grace. That's the grace that goes before. So everybody has grace operating in their lives. The most pagan guy you can think of in the world has God trying. I, I, I love that. I don't know if you ever read it before. It's kind of hard to read. But it's called the Hound of Heaven. Anybody ever heard of the Hound of Heaven? I mean, what it says is the Hound of Heaven is God, and he's pursuing us like a hound. And he intends to get us. He fully, but he will not do it without our cooperation. We have finally got to say, hey, I want to be found. Hey, I respond to that grace. Hey, I repent of my sins. That's obedience. And I think what Jesus is saying here is when someone obeys at that point, I can come in and do an incredible thing. If they don't, it's tough for me to do an incredible thing. And I, in fact, I won't do it. And the greatest thing he can do is come and make his dwelling with us. Boy, who here wants him to make his dwelling with us? Listen, I live in an academic world. Uh, in academia, basically, a lot of it comes down to this. Getting intimidated by professors who write better, who think better, who get published with ease, who present papers at academic associations that mesmerize, and they teach with a skill that astounds. But none of that automatically brings the kind of holy comprehension that God truly desires. In other words, you can do all that stuff. In fact, I promise you there are pastors today that can do all that stuff. They're writing books. They're looked at as, wow, look at that guy. There's pastors like that. There are professors like that. And I would suggest to you, it looks good from the outside because they're saying yes, yes, yes to Jesus on the outside, but they're not obeying him. And y'all, obedience is necessary. And when we obey, even in the slightest way, he starts coming. And then we want to obey him more because we see him coming. And I will suggest to you, we want him to come our lives in a fresh way, in a beautiful... I think this. I think everybody who studies their Bible... Anybody here read your Bible every day? Anybody here read your Bible every day? Boy, that's a great thing to do. And uh, I think a great spiritual discipline is to have a piece of paper nearby. Might be being the flyleaf of your Bible. But every day, write down on a piece of paper one thing, one fresh thing, one new thing that arises from your devotions that you will do that day. Write it up and then say, and I'm going to check in with, so I have an accountability partner. When I do it, I'm going to call Ralph. I'm going to call Betty. I'm going to let him know I did this thing just for an accountability thing. One Peace of fresh obedience. Now, you all know I have a, a discipleship model that I call 5Q. We don't do it here enough at the church, and that's my fault. But I'm going to tell you, it's used in Africa, it's used in Mexico, it's used in Asia, it's used, uh, oh, we've got the thing going around the world, because I teach it at the seminary. And it's 5Q, and it's Scripture, let's look at Scripture, then let's adore the, the God of that Scripture, then let's go right down the line. So it's S, A, it's C. Let's change because of that scripture. Let's give testimony to that scripture 
how that's happening in our lives, and then let's pray for one another according to that scripture. It's a great model. But when I clip along in that model and I get to see, change. And we ask the question during a meeting, hey, this has been the passage today. What are you going to do to change your life because of the passage? I've noticed that until you get very used to it, that's the quietest part of the meeting. You know why I've noticed that? Because we've done Bible studies all our lives. We've, done, we've listened to sermons all our lives without doing anything about it, ever. And I'm going to tell you, I think that's a foothold for Satan. I think at the end of the sermon today, you ought to write it down, what you're going to do differently because how God used his word in your life today. Not even the preacher. Get rid of the preacher out of your, out of your brain. What God has done through his word in your life today. And one of the things he wants to do is show you what he wants you to change because of his word. We don't do that. And because we don't do it, we get used to not changing. We get used to not obeying. And because we don't obey, we can actually, and I believe it, lose the presence of God. Because it says in the Bible, he can leave. Will he leave? It's not so much he leaves, we just push him out. And we push him out because of lack of obedience. Who here wants to obey? Hmm. I've uh, started doing some analysis of my family. Actually, I was out at the prison this morning and, and preaching and, and had a great meeting with those guys. And after I was done with them, I, I got in the car and I started thinking through some of these points and thinking, all right, what do I need to say about some of these points? And I just, I'm going to lay, lay, some, lay some lessons down about the freedom and family. Not my family that we have given birth to here in Jackson, the family from Great Bend, Kansas. Can I tell you something? My mom played favorites. My mom played favorites. Her favorite kid, and I don't know if Lisa's listening to this, but Lisa, you know, I guess I can't imagine she ever listens to this. But anyway, Lisa, you were her favorite. It's just so true. And you want to know why? She actually listened to my mom and would go do the things she said to do. Hey, kids, you want to become your your parents' favorite? I know how to do it because I didn't do it. Mom, stop it. I'm tired of it. You know, I was always cantankerous, and if she asked me to do something, I tried not to do it. My sister, Lisa, just loved my mom and and listened to her every word, and, oh, let me go help you. Let me do this. I'm thinking, all right, 20 years later, why is Lisa her favorite? Because Lisa actually did what mom wanted her to do. Now, do do I get upset about that? Well, as you can tell. (laughs) I I find my attitude about that is pretty much like the attitude of people who say, yeah, I love Jesus, so I don't always obey him. That's none of your business. I had the same attitude. All these years later, mom, you like Lisa better. Now, she would never say that, and frankly, my mom treated me extraordinarily well, all the family. Yeah, as an outsider, no one would, but I just got this hunch. She liked Lisa best because, y'all, this is an important thing. Every day, a Jew would wake up and say, Shema. And every night they went to bed, they'd say, Shema. Now, they said some other things. The passage actually goes like this, Shema, Israel, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
But that word shema didn't mean simply love affectionately. It meant love, hear, and obey. It basically means I want to hear God and I want to obey him today. And you went to bed saying, did I, Lord, hear you and obey you today? If not, I need to repent of that. And tomorrow morning, when I have my devotional life, I'm going to write. I'm not saying the Jew would ever say this, but I want to write in the flyleaf on my what I will do tomorrow because of what God's saying to me through his word. And we start practicing that obedience. Can I make you a promise? Let me promise you today, if you start doing that, doing something that God's revealing to you in his word, and do it every day, a fresh thing every day, a, th- a thing that's measurable, a thing that's behavioral, every day, watch God open up to you, and your life become absolutely extraordinary. I promise you it will happen. And so the first thing we see John saying is, love her. Now, by the way, let me kind of go back to that favorite thing. I almost missed out on this. Let's go back to that favorite thing. You can tell. I still got a chip on my shoulder about it. Lisa. I think Jesus had a favorite. Matthew never said the disciple whom Jesus loved. John said the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now you say, well, I don't, that doesn't fit my theology. Yeah, I know. doesn't fit mine either. I just got this funny feeling that they had a special relationship. Right? Just like they had a special relationship with Peter, James, and John. I believe he had a special relationship with John. And then this is why I think it. This is why I think it. Now, by the way, this is arguable, okay? So don't take this down as gospel truth. I'm just going to tell you, this is arguable, but I nonetheless believe it, is I believe that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he could write it, and no one would argue with it because John had a special relationship with him. And this is what I think. He was called by an early church father as a youth and almost a boy, which would have put him down into his early teenage years. I think... This is like a big brother-little brother relationship with Jesus. And remember, at the Last Supper, he leaned into the breast of Jesus. I think he was a teenage kid, scared to death what's happening here. Man, Judas is, is, is weirding out. Peter's acting like an idiot, like he always does, and you're talking about dying. I'm scared. He leans into the breast of Jesus. That's like a little brother into a big brother. And I believe Jesus says, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to get tough for a little bit, but it's, it's going to be okay. I believe he had a special relationship. And I think it's the same special relationship he wants you to have with him. And you'll have it with him as you obey him. Now, I hope there's affection with that. But obey him and watch him open the doors of discipleship and of his glory to you. Okay, so I love you, Lisa. Next one, lover. Next one is sent one, all right? So John's... Painting a portrait here, he says, ah, there's a portrait of lover. By the way, this guy obeys, and because he obeys, he opens up. And the next one is sent one. It says there in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, we've already been over helper, the, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Okay, so he's a, the Holy Spirit is a sent one. God's going to send him. Jesus was sent. The Holy Spirit sent there's, a, there's, a, there's an old Latin term called missio dei. Can you say it with me? Missio dei. Say that. And missio dei means the sending of God. 
And what it suggests is we can get involved in the sending of God. We can get involved with what he's sent to do. And that's our job. We need to participate in the Missio Dei. God is sent. We need to join with him to do what he's been sent to do. And in so much as the Holy Spirit is sent, we can join in the Holy Spirit work. Now, the apostle actually means sent one. I don't think you are an apostle, but I think we can be apostolic so that we can know we are sent to do the will of the Lord. Do you believe that? All right, so I got a friend. Y'all know him. Remember our friend Roberto Stevenson? Anybody remember Roberto? Uh, he spoke at Pentecost Sunday here. Has the largest church in Mexico. Big old church, mega church. Every Monday, he and I are in a meeting together by Zoom, and we disciple one another. It's a, it's a great relationship, but I love a story that he tells. And this is what he says. When I was a senior in high school, I got a girl pregnant. And uh, she ended up having an abortion. And years later, I'm in prison. I get discipled, marvelously discipled by the guys in prison. And uh, while I was in prison, I came across a proverb. And you all will remember this proverb, Proverbs 24:11. It says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. It's a big pro-life. We, we think about this all the time when we're out there. We want to rescue those being led away to death. So Roberto remembered that, and he felt the Holy Spirit sending him through this verse to a local abortion clinic. And he didn't know what he was doing. All he knows is, Roberto, I want you to go out to that abortion clinic. No one taught him anything about how to do it. He just tried to talk to women, was relatively fruitless, wasn't getting anywhere with anybody. And those of us who have been out to an abortion clinic doing this, get that. No one's really listening. You don't really help anybody until you do. And so this is what happened. His third week outside the clinic, he feels like God has sent him there for some reason. He can't figure out the reason. The lady who owned the clinic, who at least ran the clinic, came out and started to give him a piece of her mind. Now, again, any of us who have been at the abortion clinic here in Jackson knows what that's all about. And so here's this lady yelling at Roberto, and he just takes it. He just stands there and lets the tirade go and go and go. And finally, he says, can I share with you just a little testimony? And she's tired of yelling, so she says, sure. And she listened. He talked about making this girl pregnant in high school. He talked about how she went to an abortion clinic and found out the baby was a boy. He talked about how she proceeded to abort him. And at the end of his testimony, he was crying. And as unlikely as it seems, she started crying too. And Roberto led her right there, unbelievably led her to the Lord. And she left the clinic, like left it, never went back to it. Went on to nursing school, went on to a better future. And here's what Roberto says. I have no idea why Jesus told me to go in an abortion clinic, but it became kind of obvious in the third week. It became more obvious as she went on and ran into the arms of Jesus and into responsible living. 
It became obvious to me, and I'm just telling you, that new Bible study method might just work. Because when Roberto saw this verse in Proverbs that says, rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter, he felt like my point of obedience is to actually go to an abortion clinic. And someone found the Lord, and the owner says, I'm out of here to nursing school, and I'm out of here to Jesus. Y'all, I think we're sent people. And I think we need to articulate that to ourselves to say, Lord, where do you want to send me today to do something? It might be a small thing. It might be a big thing. I bet Roberto thought that was a little thing. But he went, considering all the things he does. But nonetheless, God used that little thing. And this woman that runs the abortion clinic finds Jesus. He's sending you today. And you've got to figure out for what, to do what, to say something, to do something, to be present somewhere, to smile at somebody. He's sending you today. And the height of disobedience to say, I don't think so. Obedience says, I believe it. I want to find out what it is. I want to do what he wants me to do. The first portrait John writes here is lover. Second one is sent one. Third one is simply teacher. Look at verse 26. This Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So I do not know Latin, Greek, or Hebrew. I'm very grateful to have married into a woman that knows Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. And even greater is the children know Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. At least they were schooled in it growing up. The only idiot in our family that doesn't know Latin, Greek, and Hebrew is moi. So I stand before you as not an expert. But I know this much. There's something called the hephil stem in Hebrew. And the hephil stem, whenever it shows up, will make something sound like this. Psalm 25. I'm going to go over that one tomorrow morning. Make me know your way. Does this teach us? Lead us? Teach us? And he teaches the humble his way. All those things. I believe Psalm 25 is an educational psalm. But that word, if you'll think about it, ought to make you feel a little uncomfortable. Make me know your way. Lord. So I'm out there with the prisoners. I'm thinking, how can I relate to that to these guys? And I'm thinking, all right, I, I don't know, I don't know. Then all of a sudden came to me. What if God moved into your life? And uh, you were known by God as someone who is tamim, perfect. There's a guy like that in the Old Testament. His name was Job. Perfect. Very rich. Has a great family. Lots and lots of things I blessed him with. And let's just say, I want to take him to a whole nother level. And so Satan comes along and says, hey, I've seen that. Have you seen that? Uh, I've seen that Job guy. And the Lord says, I know because I showed him to you. And Satan says, He only loves you because he's rich. What if God has already had this discussion with, uh, between the three of them? He says, You know, I want to bless Job even more. And the way that he's going to be blessed even more is God's going to take everything away from him except the cantankerous wife. 
Ooh, that's not a good thing to do on Mother's Day, is it? Can I ask your forgiveness for that? No, I, I didn't. Even, I'm just thinking on the, my feet here. Yeah, anyway, except for a cantankerous wife and three friends that just don't get it. And at the end of it, I don't even know how to study the book of Job. I'm going to tell you straight up. I'm not sure because at the end it says, hey, you guys that were counseling him, all the book, you're telling him to do these things, you're all wrong. So you read through the book of Job and you're thinking, okay, as I'm reading through this, ooh, that's good. No, it's not. It was wrong, says God at the end of the book. I mean, that's a hard book to study. But here it is. He's extraordinarily blessed. He gets taken down to ashes where he's taking, you know, sharp objects and, and scraping scabs off his body. He's got a wife that says, go ahead and curse God and die. Thank you, sweetheart. I'll consider that. And then here comes these three friends. And they say, okay, here's our counsel. Because you've blown it somehow. And Job says, I haven't blown it. Well, there you go, you meathead. That's why you're in the state you're in. And at the end of it, God says, no, guys, you didn't do anything wrong. But watch what I'm about ready to do now in his life. And he blesses him beyond all imagination. Greater than the blessing at the front of the book. What if God wants to add enormous blessing to your life, but you don't know how he's going to do it yet? And he decides to get you to this point, I got to take you from this point down to this point. Make me to know your way. Are you willing that he takes you down to that point? Down to ashes. Down to bitter. Down to hopelessness. Make me know your way. One of the most extraordinary prayers in the Bible is right there. Make me know your way, O Lord. Anybody here crazy enough to pray that prayer? Just close your eyes real quick. We're not done, but close your eyes. Lord, for the crazy people here right now, not everybody is, not everybody's going to say this prayer to you, but for the crazy people that are willing to say, make me know your way, I pray, Lord Jesus, I pray, Spirit, I pray, Father in heaven, you will bring them your way. And most of all, you'll bring them yourself, no matter the cost. Amen. So he's lover. He sent one. He's teacher. Finally, it's this. He's peace giver. Peace I leave with you, it says in 27. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek. We all know that. Uh, but all those Greek concepts really aren't Greek concepts. They're Hebrew concepts. It's just that's what everybody understands, so we're writing it in a language everybody gets. But to understand that when it says peace, they're not talking about the Greek understanding of peace. They're talking about the Hebrew understanding. So the Hebrew language stands behind all that Paul writes. The Hebrew language stands behind all that Jesus articulates. And the word here is shalom. Say shalom. And so it's not the word in the Greek, but it's the, it's the Hebrew term that stands behind. And so shalom is interesting because the ancient Hebrew meaning of this basic word is to make something whole, an overall sense of fullness and completeness, both in mind, in body, and in a state. So when we say shalom, and by the way, I just got done singing that song, and 
with numerous groups will sing it. I have a tough time saying, which group do I do the uh, doxology with and which group do I do shalom with? But I like the shalom song. Shalom, my friend. Shalom, my friend. Shalom. Shalom. I'll see you again. I'll see you again. Shalom. Shalom. I love going. I love ending groups. My, my small group ends that way. We can't sing, by the way, so it doesn't sound very good. But we, 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 we try to. And by the way, talk about can't sing. The, the prisoners this morning, they can't sing either. But boy, we try. We croak it out as best we can. Because what we're saying is completeness, my friend. Completeness, my friend. Completeness, completeness. Wholeness, my friend. Wholeness, wholeness, wholeness. You think, ah, I don't know how true that is. Well, let me, let me show you how I know it's true. In the New King James Version of Genesis 43, it says this. Then he asked them about their well-being. And he said, is your father well? The old man of whom he spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your father, our servant, is in good health, and he's still alive. In the Hebrew, well-being, well and good health is all one word. It's shalom. Now, if you're me, you're thinking, well, why didn't the translator just say so? I don't know. Then he asked him about their shalom. And he said, is your father shalom? And the old man of whom he spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your, father, your servant, our father, is shalom. And he's still alive. Listen, y'all, he wants you whole. He wants you complete. He wants you in good health. He wants you well. Most of all, he wants you spiritually robust and alive and bouncing. Some of us are getting to the age where it's kind of hard to imagine when we were bouncy. I mean, I see some of these things on TV. I'm thinking, wow, look at that guy moving around the room. If I moved around the room, I'd break ankles. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? But then you think, well, I used to be able to do that. I used to be just like that in sixth grade. I was like that when I was a senior in high school. I could bounce around a room like that. There ain't no more. But guess what? That's exactly what he wants for your life right now, spiritually speaking. He wants you bouncy. He wants you mobile. He wants you moving around. He wants you in good health. He wants you complete. He wants you vigorous. And that's shalom. And y'all, he wants that for you even today, especially today. Now, you remember what I said a couple weeks ago. This is so good. This is one of those I don't mind dragging out 10 times a year for you. There's, a guy, there's an author named Michael Ramsden that says, a colleague of his was in Asia. And in Asia, he asked his audience, close your eyes. And I want you to imagine peace. So after a few seconds, the audience closed their eyes. And after 15, 20, 30 seconds, he says, okay, open them. Now, what did you see? And one says, I saw a field with flowers and beautiful trees. Another one said, I saw snow-capped mountains. Ah, oh, that's me. I love mountains. I don't like to be on them. I just like to look at them. Oh, snow-capped mountains. That's, that's my idea of a good time. Someone else says, I saw an incredible alpine landscape. And another one said, I saw a beautiful still lake. And Ramson says, isn't it interesting? When asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is eliminate people. <laughs> hey, y'all. That's not God's peace. Jesus actually said, blessed are the peace makers. And you can't make a snow-capped mountain. But you can to go to your friend and say, I'm sorry. You can go to your friend and say, hey, let's go talk to that guy we need to talk to. You can say, let's make peace. 
And God says, the first person you need to make peace with is me. And this is going to be rather, relatively easy if you'll just do what I want you to do, because I've been pursuing you for a long time. How many believe before your salvation, God was pursuing you? He was chasing after you like the hound of heaven. And he says, listen, that's what I do. And then once you start saying, okay, let me start moving towards you, following you, uh, embracing, repenting of my sins, then God starts opening up a world to, of completeness and of wellness and of shalom. Do you want it? There's somebody here today, I don't know who, maybe several someones, that just flat aren't there. But you want it. And Jesus says, I can give it to you. Starting now. But you have to obey me. You have to do what I want you to do. And the first thing is to simply look into his face. And when you look into the face of of Jesus, you're going to see how much he loves you. And the power of the Holy Spirit is going to start saying, now, there's some things holding you back from me. I want you to turn away from those things and follow me. Huh. Your world changes big time when that starts happening. And then what happens is he starts opening up. Let me tell you about the word for salvation in the Old Testament. It's yesha. But it comes from a cognate. Yesh. And yesh means this, to make wide, to make broad, to make roomy. That's actually what salvation means. Yes, he says, narrow is the way that leads to me. But if you go that narrow way, watch me open it up. But if you try to say, hey, I want all this, what he's going to do is close it down. And the pathway here is to hell. And so you got to choose. Do I want the narrow way that leads to this? Or do I want this that leads to a narrow way that I don't want? I just recommend to you, choose the narrow way of Jesus. Obey him and watch to see what he'll do in your life. It'll be extraordinary. You're going to love it. Even if you end up like the 30th chapter of the book of Job, one of your buddies shouting into your life saying, hey, you moron, repent. He says, I don't think so. And guess what? Even if you go down, you're going to go up. You got to trust him to make you extraordinary. Even if you got to go down, you're eventually going to go up. And for all eternity, you'll just keep going up. For all eternity, you'll just keep going up. Oh, Lord Jesus, right now. I've got friends here that desperately need you. And I'm just going to pray for them right now. They need you. They need your salvation. They need the Spirit of Almighty God to move on their lives and to open up the possibilities of an eternity with you. Lord Jesus, do it. Can I ask something right now? I'd like for the ladies in this congregation just to stand up where you're at. Ladies, just ladies, if you're a lady. And uh, men, you got wheels? You got, uh, you got something to ride with here? It's our job today, men, to go around and pray for these ladies. They're standing up. I want us to put our hands on them, and I want us to pray for them. Now, Kelvin, look at your responsibility here, man. You got a whole bunch of people over here. Men, stand up. Stand up, men. Get around to these ladies. Let's just ask God's blessing on their life. Can we do that?